Hi, I'm Mary Cross and welcome to the Building Bliss podcast. This week, I'm excited to welcome our first international guest, Dorothy May, who dialed in all the way from Australia. Now, Dorothy's many things, as you'll come to hear on the podcast, but I know her as a comedy legend. We have a brilliantly wide ranging discussion covering the little acts of bravery we have to do every day, her love for her art, what it's like making a living as a creative and her own very unique vision of success. Now, as I say, this one was recorded remotely and there was a bit of a delay. So please bear with us if we talk over each other, but I think you're gonna love the content of this one. So hi, and welcome to the Building Bliss podcast. Very excited to have Dorothy May on today. My first international podcast guest coming all the way from Brisbane in Australia. Very honored. Now, Dot, as I call her, I've checked that I can call her Dot because I'm officially her friend now. Um, so Dot is the ultimate <laughs> multi-hyphen person I've ever met. So I'm just going to list out what she does. She's a comedian, comedy coach, singer, songwriter, producer, scriptwriter, podcaster, and all-round dynamic force in the world, which I think is uh, a pretty impressive introduction. Oh. So how are you today? <laughs> Thank you so much. That's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm good. How are you going? I'm good, yeah. I'm a bit jealous of your oh, weather. My jaw hurts. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm jealous of your weather. It's 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 so hot here. I just break a sweat from breathing, so it's pretty special. Yeah, Dot and I have uh, we're asking if we can develop an app where she can send some of her heat here and we can send some of our cold over to Australia. <laughs> I'm not sure that's possible yet, but you never know. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for oh, agreeing to being on the that podcast. Would be so good. <laughs> um, obviously, the Building Bliss podcast. Thanks for is... having me, and I love the, the dynamic. Yeah, we'll have to. Sorry if we're talking over each other, but we're just yeah. working around the delay to Australia. <laughs> we're like one of those news oh, reporters where they're like they stand like that for ten seconds. And then get the question. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll remember to pause and let you speak so that we're not talking over each other. I love that. Good. <laughs> we're learning already. So the Building Bliss podcast is focused on the five pillars of bliss, which are bravery, laughter, inspiration, spark, and success. So we're going to start with bravery because Dot, you are one of the most fearless and brave people I think I've ever met. And I think I should say before we get into it, how I met Dot, I actually met her through Instagram. Um, we were both part of a, a shared creative collective and there was just something about her that drew me to her energy. Uh, and then I found out that she had a business called The Humour Experiment, uh, which is basically focused on teaching comedy to people. Um, so it seemed a natural progression to get in touch with her with my comedy career starting off. I think it was around March this year that we first pro properly connected and then I started doing one of her courses uh, and we've become firm friends in the process, which has been amazing. Um, just shows that distance is no uh, obstacle to, to making friends in this day and age. So, um, yeah, that's how we met. So starting with bravery then, what's the moment in your life that you think you had to be the bravest? And I know this is going to be a doozy of an answer. 
I'm going to disappoint you, Mary. No, I... And you're welcome to go fishing a little bit. <laughs> you're always welcome to go fishing. I trust you and I give you that permission. Um, I was thinking about this question earlier today and I think that, oh, I just it just occurred to me that bravery is something that I feel that I have to tap into every day for, for whatever reason because uh, I don't think that, I don't know, I've never felt like I'm in a position where I can just sort of sit on my laurels and just go, cool, and now I can just coast. I have always felt like um, I have to be brave in the decisions that I make each day to push myself to whatever next thing that I need to accomplish is or achieve is and with with the hopes that one day I'll sort of achieve my dream of, being <laughs> secure and comfortable and safe in my in my physical world enough to really flourish and do my art justice. Uh, so I feel like, oh, it's weird. It's almost some of the moments in the past that other people might judge as quite brave or, you know, might hear of the experiences I've been through and go, wow, that's, that's, that takes incredible bravery. Sometimes I find this, the small moments of bravery just as challenging, but like in a different way, I, I think. Like just getting up and deciding to do something drastically different that day than you've done before with the hopes of getting a new outcome. I find change really brave. Um, so I don't yeah, know. Because you, you've, yeah, I feel like, like I'm disappointed really... too with my answer. No, not at all, no. <laughs> Because, well, the thing that stood out to me, obviously, through through your business with the humour experiment is how you have really tried to do something very different uh, in that space. But you have faced a lot of adversity because of that and a lot of challenges from the local community who don't like things being shaken up. They like the status quo because it suits them. So what, what made you want to take that step to, to set up the humour experiment and, and, and stride out on your own? Maybe insanity. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the mark of every genius, isn't because it? Because I, I sort of... Because <laughs> I sort of think about it now and I think, oh, Dorothy, what were you thinking? Um... But I'm too far down the road now to turn back, so this is what it's going to be. But I think that when I started this, I started it from a personal need to just, well, a, a need and desire to actually experience my full potential in the space of comedy. And as much as I've had a lot of people, a lot of naysayers... <laughs> which is a gentle way of putting it, a lot of bullies, you know, come my way in the process. Um, I've always felt a deep sense of deservingness of being able to do what I want to do. Uh, that hasn't necessarily translated to a deservingness of, of the approval of gatekeepers or to... Uh, achieve any particular outcome or, you know, they're sort of different categories to me. But what I've all, always felt a deep inherent sense of knowing is that 
I, like every human being, have a right to do the thing that brings me the greatest joy. And that is to be able to make myself laugh and make other people laugh and uh, just, just enjoy the bliss <laughs> of... Uh, being able to delight in the silliness and frivolity of life, but also to delight in the moments where it, we're in excruciating pain and, like, laughter is the only medicine, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I think that it's it feels like an insane thing to do based on how much I've been made aware that it, it can rub certain people the wrong way but the the truth of it always just comes back to me and when I go you know finish my day and, and think about what I've spent my day doing and what I want to spend tomorrow doing it's 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 comedy and it's joke writing and it's I think for me like comedy and joke writing is it also extends further than just the laughter and the humor aspect uh, I, I love, and you know this about me, Mary, but I love absurdity and the realm of absurdity allows me to just get lost in my most silly, childish, wildish, wild imagination and creativity and be absolutely bizarre and weird and quirky, all of the parts of me that haven't necessarily always been accepted and, and approved of in society, but are so in my cells and so a part of who I am. It's a big permission slip to, to live the way that I want to live and just revel in that. And so, yeah, there's, there's just a sense of, of, of deep authority, I guess. And so even when, you know, I'm dealing with haters <laughs> as Taylor Swift would coin the term, um, it's it doesn't it doesn't shake my deeper sense of authority it obviously shakes the surface stuff and is never pleasant and can be really difficult but you know i know who i am and what i want to do yeah well that's brilliant and it sounds like it's something that was deep-seated from a very young age did you always know you wanted to be a performer in some way when you're a child yeah yeah i I, yeah, it's, um, <sighs> to be cliche, I think it definitely stems from a similar place that I think it does for a lot of clowns. And that is, uh, I was depressed from a young age and, um, recently I was working with a healer who was able to identify that I've been depressed since I was three, to which I laughed very loud. <laughs> as, a as, as a clown will always do <laughs> and and when that was revealed I laughed so loud and just like it was just such a release because I you know I knew it I already knew it but it's always nice and validating when someone else can see it or pick up on it and yeah it was you know when I think about my childhood it was a coping mechanism for sure. Even even now, in the darkest moments, <laughs> I will always laugh. Like if if I go through something really traumatic, I will have the deepest belly laugh and find the pleasure in it. Like it's a bit it's a bit cuckoo, but 
I've I've learned to find just such a deep sense of joy in those moments and and I and I learned that early. I learned that really early, like from being a really young kid to uh, being in the presence of of like my mother, for instance, who had her own mental health challenges and yeah, I would like I knew that if I could make her laugh and bring joy into the home. I would have some power in changing that environment for myself. And so I would use that. I would use that superpower and go, if I can be an absolute dork and and make, you know, my mother laugh, for example, then... Yeah, I really resonate with that, obviously, with similar in oh, the respect geez. that my, my mum had mental health issues. And, yeah, that was my escape route. <laughs> and, yeah, the joy that you could bring into the home and diffuse the tension that's sitting there all the time like you say it, it's the ultimate that. power and I think so many comedians We're learning already. have that background don't they of uh, I think it was Jimmy Carr who said if you meet a comedian ask which one of their parents was sick when they were a child or depressed because it, it comes from that very early age of of transferring pain into humor I think that you get that which which moves us seamlessly into the to the L and the laughter, you know, of of how important laughter is in getting through life. And it seems like it was literally your saviour. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. Now, I had a couple of tools, and this is where the multi hyphenate comes in. You know, music was also an escape for me, and movies was an escape for me too. Like, wow, wow, you know, and and even now I. Um, do want to make sure that I actualize that dream of, of being in films at some point in my life because that it'll be a gift to that child who used to disappear into them as a kid and yeah those tools I think that when you're a young person like a really young person and you're in a situation like that you have so few resources that when you do find things that work whether it is comedy or escapism or a mixture of both, you you make the most of it. You know, you really you hone those skills because yeah, it's what you have. Absolutely, yeah. I mean I'm the classic, you know, got bullied at school, so use the use the humour to then disarm people. But it does make you quite a, a well rounded individual, shall we say. <laughs> So what makes you laugh or who makes you laugh now? Because I know we, we have lots of laughs, as you say, getting getting very absurd. But what, what yeah, really gets you going? It. I love laughing with you, Mary, and joking with you. It's one of my favourite things. Um, uh, it's, for me, it's always the really far out stuff that's really not socially acceptable, but <laughs> just because it's weird and over the top and too much, like I delight in that so much. And I think that that also comes from being the kid that was often too much, you know, for, for any given situation and too flamboyant or too over the top or too excited, hyperactive or, <laughs> you know, too obsessed or like with majesty, you know, so it's the it's the absurdity for me uh and even and it's 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 the comedy but it's also a playfulness um 
yeah, that's what sort of gets me going. Um, I was I was thinking of a couple of examples, but then I can't remember the names of them, so I can't I can't reference things. But you know, it's it's where, and like it's where other things intersect too. It's you know ridiculous, silly dancing and clowning and fun, you know funny and wacky raps and you know references to things that are out of this world and it's it's the wild and wacky humor that I love deeply and and even now it's the silly trivial you know the the silliest most simplest things can make me laugh the most and you know I love fart jokes like I, I have not outgrown fart jokes you know so have you got a favourite <laughs> fart joke? Because we do ask everyone what their favourite joke is. It generally puts people oh. on the spot because they can't think of any. But I thought I thought you would have a good favourite joke. Yeah. I, I just did one recently. Um, I'm just going to quickly reference it. <laughs> it's just one of your own. And it made me... Yeah, it made me feel a little bit. And it was just from our advanced comics course, one of the prompts. And I said... Um, I've chosen to live on cloud nine because 10 and 11 are too close to God's butt. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect insight into it's... your comedy brain, I think. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So, you know, I never, I never get sick of farts. They say for comedians, farts are like one-year-old comics, but maybe my growth is stunted. I, I feel like I'm getting, I feel like I'm Benjamin buttoning my comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you are you are tapping into like a childlike playfulness, aren't you? And I think that's something that we lose as adults. I was I've just been reading a book, and there's something called the humor cliff. And I'm just going to make up the statistics because I can't remember them. But there's something like when you're a child, you laugh on average ninety times a day. For example, when you're at like up to the age of around oh. ten, and then you get into your thirties and you laugh around maybe four to five times a day if you're lucky no and it's this cliff and it, it falls off but then as you get older there's like a big dip and then once you get back into your like 60s 70s suddenly you start finding things funny again now whether that's because you've got through the stress of surviving life and middle age and then maybe you've got grandkids and they bring that playfulness back into your life but it's a really sad, isn't it, to think that people might only be laughing three or four times a day. Yeah. I think I think responsibility, to be honest, can be a huge killer, a huge dampener of humour. And I feel like that maybe that's where that that comes in with kids and, and older adults because um, even even recently I've had to make a lot of lifestyle changes and I'm looking at I'm I'm going back to the drawing board and looking at how to reconfigure everything from the ground up and I'd found that the way that I was operating in my business and, and the exercises how I was going about things I was there was so much responsibility and not enough um, weight taken off my shoulders just too much I was carrying without actually looking at more effective ways of supporting myself from like underneath like from underneath and in the support system of, of doing the things that I want to do and that overbearing level of responsibility that almost felt like I could never keep up with it was really sucking a lot of the capacity for me to be funny. Even to, even while teaching and creating comedy, I could feel 
it really dampening that that ability so i think you know fun tip <laughs> helpful tip if people are wanting to tap into more comic like more humor again um that would definitely be a recommendation would be to kind of look at the level of responsibility that you have in your day-to-day life and how to make things easier for yourself so you can kind of let loose a little bit and relax and and um, not feel like you're under the pump so that you can actually play a little bit, have a bit of room to play. Yeah, well, I think that's that comes back to what I was saying. I think you're a brave and fearless person is that making a living as a creative, I think, is the most difficult thing you can do because it's so hard, yeah. A, for people to value you, to value what you're offering. Yeah. And then to actually monetize that as well, whilst maintaining your creativity, that's a real struggle, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, I'm in an interesting spot because I've been making a living from my creative outlets for the last three years. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm in a stage of, reassessing that and going um what what changes need to be made for this to be more sustainable for the long term um and it's interesting to be in a position where I feel like I I have a lot of uh questions that are unanswered at the moment and I'm sort of sitting in sitting in those questions more I think when I speak to the likes of yourself Mary and other people that I trust that I'm close to and need to let off steam I'll be like this is awful, this is cooked and you can't and it's the worst. And, you know, I, I say all of those, like, heated surface-level feelings of, of the experience. Um, but on a, on a deeper level, I don't, I don't believe a lot of those surface experiences are true, uh, are the reality of the situation. I just think that a lot of the surface experiences that I experience and other artists feel are, are the other challenge and are the adversity to understanding how to do it because uh, there you know we see it there are people out there successfully doing it and it's just it can be a lot of it can be a slog and a hard road as you work it out you've recently gone viral on instagram with a, a difficult comedy gig experience haven't you with a heckler which really just reinforced everything that you were dealing with in the moment, but like 3,000 fold. Yeah. I mean, do you want to tell us a bit about what happened with that reel? <laughs> yeah, and and for anybody that's, you know, what, listening and wants to check it out, you're welcome to. It's still, it's still up on Facebook because I can't actually archive it on Facebook, but on Instagram I've actually archived it because it was just a consistent stream of harassment and I was – in my head, I was weighing it up, going, is this worth it? No. You know, I left it, I let it go for two, you know, two to five days, I think. And then eventually I just went, this is, this is never going to end. And, <laughs> you know, what, what I'm doing online is, is needs to be more than this moment of harassment. <laughs> and so I think that was also the battle is I was going, oh, I'm getting so much attention. This is fantastic. But also this, this is not what I want my brand to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is not like the comic courses that I'm selling or this is not the jokes that I'm telling really. Um, so yeah, we how much I think oh I 
I turned it off, but I think it got to like, yeah, all up. I think it got to between Facebook and Instagram. It was, um, it was up to like 600,000 views, I think. Um, and which is thousands wild. of comments as well. <laughs> thousands of comments. Oh, the comments. Oh, oh they are oh, like a yeah. bin fire. Oh, wild there was one session there was one session alone where i deleted 400 comments of just harassment <laughs> like of just sexual db harassment like yeah. it was yeah it was wild and and so for anybody that's listening you know the clip to to, to be brief the clip essentially was me trying to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> well, we were successfully doing it until um, a man in the audience was yelling at uh, show us your tits several times and interrupting my punches. And it got to such a distracting point where, you know, as a comedian, you'll always spin things and be witty and clever and then bring them back, bring the audience back to focus on what you're doing. Uh, and it just was like the third time around and it happened again. And it was like at the peak of a massive buildup of one of my longer form jokes. And I was just so frustrated. And so then it just got to a point where it was like hit three and I, they pretty much demolished my set anyway. And I just thought this is, this is it. And I'm just going to throw them out. So I, yeah, I just told them to leave the room essentially. And then when they finally left, everyone just gave loud applause. And I said, well, I can't remember. I said something smart-ass like, um, oh, I said many things that were very smart-ass. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, essentially, but essentially this clip is, you know, being sexually harassed on stage, me kicking out this guy and the audience applauding and yeah it it really did spread like wildfire which was pretty interesting and uh, it really brought out all of the trolls from the basement that's for sure oh my word i know i mean some of them it, it, well it just reinforced the very point you're trying to make by ejecting the person in the yes. first place but it was very it was all the like yes well you're a comedian that you you should expect this you should put up with this you should be able to put them in their place yes. and and i think as we said at the time yes. you know can you imagine someone trying to do brain surgery uh with someone like shouting <laughs> over the gallery going you're flaming galah, as I was uh, trying to get that in because obviously I'm picking up all the Aussie lingo. <laughs> but yeah, the, no other job, there's really no other job that people think that it is acceptable that you put up with harassment. No. And I think that comes back to what you were saying to start about the culture <laughs> of where it's come from, that that is just accepted. Mm. And I think certainly over here, that is cracked down on a lot more now. You know, certainly in comedy clubs, people are told not to heckle. You will mm -hmm. actually, you'll just be hoofed out. I've been in a comedy club in London where someone right. said something racist. They were gone. You know, no questions. And again, the audience cheers right. because it's ruining it for everybody else. They haven't come to see some knobhead in the audience. They've yeah, come to see so the comedians. Yeah. Yes. And I think I was just surprised because usually, you know, usually in our audiences, you know, we do intimate shows. Like we're not doing, you know, theatres of 
hundreds of people at this stage. Like we're doing, you know, intimate shows of 40, 50 people. And, and so it's our, it's our community. It's people that we connect with and, and that sort of thing. So I've never actually had to give a stern talking to before a show to be like, don't heckle or for me, it's kind of like, have common sense like I, you just wouldn't you just wouldn't anticipate it like I said like in a theater you just wouldn't anticipate that you need to say you know don't get up and scream things in the middle of numbers please you know what I mean like people we don't do that we don't give that you know warning when we go to theater because we just expect that people aren't like Neanderthals but uh and so that's why I was taken by surprise because I don't do pub shows like this isn't this was at a bar and this was at an event that I curated and I had no idea and you know it wouldn't have happened and what was interesting is it wouldn't have happened from our audience because our audience was made up of people that came to support the comedians and so they would have respected them and wanted to see them do well and that was the interesting thing is that this came from the person that came with the owner so they had no connection to the space they just came for a night out so yeah, that being said, um, obviously, you know, the processes have changed here on out. But, you know, the the sorts of events, there, there are different ways that you can go about solving this issue, uh, particularly when you're someone like myself where you're producing events, you're putting things up and you're running the show. Um, you, you can definitely forewarn people for sure and just say, hey, here are the, here are the standards. But I kind of – I actually don't really – want to do that because I think that in any other situation I will just remove someone like I'm not going to I'm not going to even be talking to people at that level (laughs) do you know what I mean like it's that kind of thing of like if you have to say don't spit in somebody's face like the person that you're having to say that to clearly isn't like capable of being in that space and holding that level of respect (laughs) so (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's kind of like one plus one equals two. You know, if you can't work that out, you probably shouldn't be watching a show and you need to be removed. So um, it, for me in future, it's just removing people straight away. And, um, you know, after that situation, I, I told the owner, I said, we're not, we're not going to come back. We're not going to be performing here. That was not appropriate. And, and there are several different ways that that will be deterred in the future. Like for instance, um, the next show that we have planned is for the end of January and that will be at a really lovely, uh, you know, in a private room of a bar for this event. And the event will also, you know, come with drinks and canapes and things like that. And so it'll be a, it'll be a greater price for the ticket and for the whole experience and the show. So once again, you're going to attract a different demographic and, and people are going to come in with a different sort of level of respect for what you're doing and uh and outside of that as well you know i'm i'm booking a theater as well for for a showcase next year too and you know we'll be performing more in theater spaces as opposed to you know these other sort of spaces where the the courtesy and the respect is just inherent in the form so that you know there are some good lovely little changes yeah Lessons that have learned. already come from it yeah, I'm just thinking you're saying about theatres being better, but um, they actually had to call the riot police to a performance of The Bodyguard in Manchester 
because two members of the audience kept what? singing over the top of the performers and it caused like a mass brawl in the theatre because everyone was so sick of them singing. So it can happen in theatres as well. <laughs> Maybe just in Manchester, I don't know. But <laughs> Crazy. Wild. So we kind of touched on it a little <laughs> bit before, but uh, your inspiration. So you were saying that you are massively inspired by a lot of people in, in the US. So that is that your main source of inspiration or have you got quite a broad number to call on? I, I'm inspired by the US and, you know, there are things that I'm not a fan of. Obviously, the gun laws... <laughs> abortion rights you know that you know I'm not saying that the US are like angelic of, it, of any sort but um when it comes to comedy and entertainment what I love about what I see from the US as a generalization is that it's the grandiose kind of magnificence of and the majesty that they're willing to inhabit and invest in to make brilliant art, to make our jaws drop, to make people go wow, to, to create a spectacle, to elevate people to a status of where we can be in awe. And it's that ability to create a sense of awe around, you know, the arts, around entertainment, around art forms. And there's as much as, like, it takes a level of um, confidence and conviction and one might almost say ego, but like I would say healthy ego, you know, ego to, to do that. It actually conversely, you know, we live in a world of opposites of polarities and in order to be that like inherently full of majesty, you have to have that same, opposing force of humility like you can't inhabit a sense of majesty without kind of bowing your head in reverence and going I you know I worship the ground you walk on to your audience because an audience isn't going to partake and enjoy something that's just pure arrogance you know majesty isn't pure arrogance majesty must also carry humility in order for an audience to want to engage and follow and just, you know, serve and worship. And it's, it's that, it's that incredible ability that I see from that, that culturally in the U S that I think is amazing. I'm not saying it's perfect and I'm not saying it ain't flawed. Like there's obviously a lot of corruption and a lot of, there would be a lot of arrogance and narcissism in that melting pot too. But I, I don't think that we talk about like the positives enough and I don't think that we even acknowledge it or even maybe even see it and know that that's what it is. I think that we just get starstruck and we don't know how to put it into words, but mm. I think that that's what it is. I think it's, it's, it's a country of like of artists and entertainers that will bet on themselves and go big and put their everything on the line and, people will worship that and I think that that's really cool and I think as an entertainer you know 
that's what we want. We want to go all out. We want it to be a spectacle. We want it to be one of those pinch me moments where you go, I am on cloud nine. I like, this is the best experience of my life, whether you're in the audience or whether you're performing, you know, you even, you know, and I know that a lot of the specials aren't actually filmed at Radio City, but I love that venue. Like that, that, that venue has housed some comedy. And I even look at that venue and I go, even the drapes, like I could, I would just stare and drool at the drapes for a day. Like, I just want to be in that venue to touch the drapes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, so it's in, it's in everything from the architecture even to, you know, the curtains to the, it's, it's, it's in their way of life, I think. Um, it, it is interesting, you know, and it's a bit of a wormhole, so I won't go too deep into it, but I do want to touch on it. It is interesting though, looking at, uh, you know, the recent strikes, um, in the entertainment industry over there, because I think that the future, I, I, I don't know what the future looks like. Like this is what America has been. And this is what I still believe that it, it does quite well, but there's, there has been a lot of strain on artistry and entertainment over there from the actual artists and actual creators on the ground. There's been a lot of strain for them, sorry, not from them, for them. Uh, so I don't know what the future of entertainment looks like from the US or even globally, but um, definitely in the past and even, you know, as a kid, it, it was always a, you know, jaw-dropping awe moment when watching entertainment from there. Yeah. I and I think, think the UK are, have a lot of that in common too. I think that they're, they're a lot, definitely, the UK is definitely a lot stronger than Australia for sure. Yeah, I think the difference for me between in, uh, British people and Americans is the self-confidence. Like um, uh, Americans are very good at saying, mm -hmm. I am good at this and I'm not ashamed that I'm good at this yeah. and I'm not ashamed to tell you that I'm good at this because oh. that's how good I am. And I think that's probably, it comes across it's as so arrogance. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it comes across as arrogance to a lot of other nations and obviously yeah. Brits are known as being very self-deprecating. So we'll be like oh no this is this is crap i'm no good at this and and then so that's a real big dichotomy yeah. between the two nations mm -hmm. and i think mm -hmm. that's something we could mm -hmm. all take a drop of occasionally because i think you know the imposter syndrome thing if we all just took a little ounce of that self-belief and said no actually i am yeah. good at this i am good and i'm gonna i'm gonna own that well, I think the, the that actual intellectual wit that has come out of entertainment in the UK is is amazing. You know, like I when I think of comedy from the UK, I just think intellectual wit, like just such clever, witty humour, uh, and that's undeniable. But I think that what's really interesting about what you just said is that you were talking about self-deprecating and. And, 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 and when you think about the energy of that, that's, that's minimizing and it makes us smaller and the energy of saying, I'm great at this and I own this and I'm fantastic. And I'm telling you about this because it's great, regardless of whatever skill level you're presenting or any gift that you're presenting immediately, you're creating, you're, you're going bigger, you're taking up more space. You're, you're creating more majesty just in the way that you're showing up with it. 
which is already going to make people feel more in awe and inspired and awake, you know, and, and that is really great. Like that's a really amazing thing to be able to do. And I know as somebody who has been doing the artsy thing in Australia for so long, (laughs) I was saying this to several people recently. I just, because here we have an epidemic of tall poppy syndrome to the point where if you want to be really good and do really well at something, it is. It does come part and parcel with with loneliness and and being cast out from many circles, from circles that you've been in and things. Because the tall poppy syndrome is just such an epidemic, and I'm at a point in my life where I am so fed up with that energy that I would like nothing more to wake up and be in a space of people with that go bigger energy, take up space energy, know mm. that they're good. I mean, why do I need to be intimidated by somebody that's that's great and says that they're great? That's For me, that's just so liberating because I have enough self-worth to know that, that that's got nothing to do with me. Like, And it's that thing of, you know, the light that you're in the presence of is the light that you can emulate and find for yourself. And so when you're in spaces where you're constantly made to dim light, dim, 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 it becomes so hard you know, to to be in shared spaces, sharing a gift with people when it's just not permitted to be bright and it drives me up the wall. Uh, and I think that, yeah, I mean, wow, that's a huge strength that the US has. It's a huge strength. Yeah. Yeah, we all definitely need to dip into that a bit more. And I think, you know, we've always said when we've discussed it, comedy is such an exchange of energy. And it starts from the moment yeah. you walk on the stage and pick up the mic and people sense that. So you you have got to have a pretty mm. decent core of self-belief to be able to, to get up there and do it. And, I mean, who's it going to hurt by rocking a mic and walking up there like, God just shat you out of the heavens? <laughs> like, <laughs> who's, who's it going to hurt? You know what I mean? Like, it feels That's a line so good. for the comedy and poster. Definitely... <laughs> <laughs> tonight. You know, Sorry, that was definitely... God shatter out of the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and that's the thing. It just, you know, at the last gig that we did, before I had to deal with that bloody idiot, um... I was just carrying that energy. I was just like, yeah, I'm God. You're God. We're God. Let's rock. Like, it feels good. Take up space. Be magnificent because we actually love that. Like, that's a great energy. That's a great vibe to give out. Absolutely. And, like, when you're on stage, you're safe. You know, you are on a pedestal already. The fact that you're standing on a stage and you've got a mic, it's that's what I love about it. It, it is a bit more of a... It tends to be more of a safe space when you're not being harassed <laughs> for that. Yeah. So how, how would you like to inspire others then through what you've done? What, what, what would your legacy be for inspiration? Oh, put her back, put her back in the oven. You know what I mean? She's not done. <laughs> It's it's raw it's raw cake batter at this stage, Mary. Yeah. 
<laughs> but I think you are, you are an inspiration just, yeah, for a lot of people. Me. which is cooking over here and um <laughs> we'd have to do we'd have to cook something every session <laughs> and you know everything that I brought out of that class and took home with me on the bus that day should have just been in a in a lineup <laughs> you know in a criminal lineup because <laughs> a, it was a bunch of shady characters like I remember baking a cake and I remember literally, <laughs> it's so comedic to me, but I remember literally being in class and being like, oh, I did it. And they're putting it in the oven and then it, the bell goes off. Do, 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 and I go, oh shit, I have to take it back out of the oven. I literally just put it in for a minute <laughs> and we're done. Class is over and I'm going to take it back out of the oven and I'm going to put it in like a plastic bag and I... I didn't bring any Tupperware for the session, so I just put it, I just pour this batter into a plastic bag. <laughs> and take it on the bus. Long story short, that's where I'm at. So that's where my life's at right now. I'm uncooked batter in a plastic bag. But <laughs> who doesn't love licking the spoon? Exactly. What I mean, you can't say what, more than that. And what I'm trying to say is probably where I'm at right now. You know, I I hope I have a lot of dreams for what my legacy will be. You know, in years to come, and like at the end of my life, and what that dream would be, which I'm going to keep on lock because I love keeping beautiful secrets like that. But. Um, I think that the legacy of like the moment that I'm in right now and what I hope people receive from me when they engage with me right now is just to trust um, because that's, that's what I'm taking out of this moment in life too is going, how can I just trust right now? Because thing, things don't seem... Like, from the inside, things don't seem overly optimistic or positive, to be honest. Like, I've been through it in the last several months and we've ha had a lot of challenges, a lot of what people might label setbacks. And, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a standstill at the moment and there's a lot of things that need to, to move around in the foundations of what I'm doing for the next stage to be even possible. And... It's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. And the beauty of people watching it from the outside is they're going to forget about me while I'm not in their face. And then I'll pop up and be in their face again in five or six months when I've got my shit together. And they'll be like, oh, my God, she's amazing. She goes from strength to strength. And it's like, mate, remember how I disappeared for five months? <laughs> remember how I was in the fetal position that you didn't see, you know, for a month or you know, I was in absolute the trenches for a month and, you know, riding extreme lows while I'm trying to still strive for extreme highs. And yeah. And so I think it's trust, it's trusting because this is not like, you know, betting on yourself and doing anything that's out of the mainstream, doing, following your heart and following your desires 
it does it doesn't feel sensible and even when we try and build a structure around it around it to approach it in what we might see as a sensible way it's still so inherently risky and you know like even even sensible lives where we're not following our dreams are inherently risky like it's just risky to breathe and be alive and and so right now just just trusting and going yeah it can seem like a pile of dog shit and like you've absolutely cooked it and it's it's not getting better and you're not going anywhere and if you just trust and you just keep showing up as you are uh with the intentions that you have the dreams that you have the things that matter to you that things will eventually fall into some kind of order so that you can keep traveling for what for what you do and there's a really beautiful poem called um you might know it. It's I think it's called the Desiderata. Oh yes, one of and, my favorites. Or it might, might be prose actually. Sorry, and um, within that, it's beautiful. It's just got like a, a, a guide of all of the things in life to remember. Um, and I can't I can't remember the exact quote from it. You might be able to help me. But it's um, continue. It's something like continue to nurture your your gifts throughout the passages of time because they will be your greatest resource or they'll be your greatest blessing something like that and I really believe in that because at times it can feel like your gifts are not doing anything in the world like you're still investing and you're still connecting with your form and your art and whatnot and it could you just be getting crickets or you just don't have that next move to actually make it go somewhere or you don't have that way of connecting or, you know, things aren't happening in that moment. But you just, you still do it anyway because it's a part of who you are and you just trust that if you just always show up in that space every day, like over the period of a whole lifetime, something's going to work. Something's going to be magnificent. Something beautiful is going to come from that. And we don't always get to know what that is, whether that's going to actually ever be financially, you know, remunerating us. But there's so much more that we get from our, our creative practice, whatever it is, that, than money anyway. And it's hard when you, <laughs> when you commit to it in the sense where you're, you're, you're wedded to the need for money. And I'm certainly there, like, I, to some extent, I do need to be successful at some point because otherwise I will be in trouble. <laughs> um, and that's a reality too. But I think it's important to remember outside of that that there are other elements at play too and that a life of art, a life of your practice is beautiful. It is beautiful. Like if I, I can't, my one of my greatest blessings in my life is that, and I'm gonna. I almost think I might tear up talking about it because you're making me cry. To be able to have what you're saying, yeah. Well, just to to have been able to have the gift of being able to practice comedy for three years, um, you know, amongst you know, in a dual sense with you know, for three years I focused on coaching, singing, and comedy. And together, the like the, the gift of both to be able to have done that for three years and th 
for me, I knew it wasn't viable to work full-time as a comedian from Brisbane for the last three years. I knew that that, that while that's possible, that wasn't going to happen overnight. But what I did know is that I could still make a career from comedy and work a lot more if I did coach it and if I did create something that benefited others in the same way that I'm benefiting and if I could practice comedy and study comedy and teach it and, you know, learn and perform and, and do it in all these beautiful, different, complementary, engaging ways. And it's meant that I've been able to spend hours, hours, like hundreds of hours with the craft that I love that is – I love it, you know, and for for somebody that, you know, that's listening that maybe doesn't do an art form, maybe is approaching it from with a love for sports or, you know, or the sciences or they love mathematics and, 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 you know, those sorts of things. Or for somebody that just isn't super passionate about anything, because I know a lot of people that are just like, I just don't feel that kind of passion in life, like, I just do things and it's kind of good. and <laughs> Like there are plenty of people like that too. And what I would say to those people is imagine for somebody else, for someone that's passionate about a craft, um, imagine that that for them is like the person that you love the most in the world to you. Because for me the greatest relationship of my life is my relationship to my art. For me, it's, it's like having a relationship to a person. Um, that's how vital it is to me. And that's, that's how much I grieve when I'm pulled away from it and I can't be with the the one that I love, you know? Um, and I think that that would probably be the best way to communicate that to people that wouldn't understand otherwise what this means, because I know that, there's been a lot of like flippancy over the years as as I've practiced these forms of people just kind of thinking, Oh, it's not a big deal. Just put the project off or just do this instead. Or you can do that, you know, later down the track, or it's just a silly little thing, you know, all those like minimizing things of, you know, I'll get a full-time job, even though it will impact on your relationship with your art. And, it's really hard because it is your the love of your life and it is like a partner and it is like, you know, asking, well, for me, it's what I would imagine asking a mother to to go back to work and, and miss out on spending crucial years raising her children. You know, it, it, feel, it feels like that for me, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a mother and I'm you know, but, but that's, you know, we all have things, we're all unique in what, what we have that matters most to us and, and, and where that fits for us. And for me, art has always been, it's always been there for me. So, you know, in a world where, you know, my parents haven't been there for me and my family, you know, I, art was there for me. So in a sense, it almost feels a role that's even greater than a, than a parent or, um, or a, or a partner. Wow. That was beautiful. It was making me emotional listening to you because I don't think I've ever heard anyone articulate it like that and so beautifully. And I think, yeah, it's your constant, isn't it? 
I think it's probably the one thing you know will never let you down. And that's, there's not many humans Mm -hmm. you can say that about. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So I don't think I really need to ask you where where you find your spark from, because I think you've probably just encapsulated it in everything that you've just said about how (laughs) how that is just the, the, the linchpin of your life, really. So I think we'll, uh, mm. we can move straight on to success, I guess. And what does success look like to you? You are asking some ripper questions, Mary. <laughs> My goodness. This is definitely an interview I need to put in a time capsule. It's beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, uh, this, is, this is always changing and evolving for me too success um I think it does change as you get older doesn't it because I think perhaps when you're younger you know certainly for me perhaps it was more a focus on materialistic things or what I thought society defined as success and as you get older you suddenly realize that um less you know those things aren't important really at all and it's about actually having the freedom and the life that you want yeah I think I do find this really challenging because I yeah (laughs) when I die I really don't want to die in debt (laughs) like that that just Honestly, I don't know why that's I don't know why that's the first thing that comes to my mind, but life's been so expensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I really don't want, you know, that uh, success for me would would be being able to hold my own and carry my own and carry my weight and 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 not and not die with debt, but maybe die with having saved some money that could actually be left to make the world a better place. Um, that would probably feel like success for me because I would be leaving in credit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and as silly as that sounds, I think it bothers me because I'm such a person where my whole life I've wanted to leave places bigger and better than how I found them. And I've wanted to make people's lives better by being in it. I've just wanted to leave things better than I found it. And, um, and as, as, as much as we like to separate financial conversations from the larger overall spiritual picture of things, I I do feel like it carries a lot of weight because for me, um, I know that if I were to be able to, you know, die with, with, with a, a lot of money to give people that needed it it would really, for me, say, hey, you were able to to be generous and you were able to to make enough of an impact in the world to, to have a lot to give, not only through your life but at the end, to have left over to, to give. Um, and I just feel like that would be a legacy I'm worthy of, I think, of, of leaving behind. Um, and so... Success for me is will will be when I can get to that point where I'm 
living so generously and, and making such an impact that I can see that financial remuneration of that gather throughout my life and and I can um and I can actually do really wonderful things for the world with that. Uh, because I feel like in every other way I already do wonderful things for the world and that's the that's the thing that's left for me to conquer. I think that when I talk to people and when I make my art and I live my day-to-day life, I think I make I think I give more than I take and I think people feel that they receive from me and they they benefit from me. But that's that's one thing that's still a mountain to climb. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of my favourite quotes um, is on something that my dad got me was from Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he says, if one person has breathed easier because of your existence, that is to have succeeded. And that is Mm. a quote I carry through life. And I think, yeah, you've, you've definitely made a lot of people breathe easier in this world. So can I tell them about your your dream that you've got to have the the, the place in the country to bring people to? Because I think that's yeah. a really lovely embodiment. Or do you you'll, you'll explain it better than me. Yeah, I would love. I mean, my dream for in I don't know what the timeline is at the moment. I feel like my <laughs> timelines are a bit who knows. But whether it be in 10 years or 20 years, I, I would love to have this beautiful, like have a beautiful farm and a beautiful big farmhouse with like lots of, lots of housing in it, you know, lots of spaces for, for young women to come and, and live and stay and kind of heal themselves in this, in this beautiful farmhouse with, with other young women that have been through similar things to myself where they haven't grown up in a home where they felt safe and could kind of recover and, and soothe and, and find a sense of what it feels like to be safe. And and at this, I've got this beautiful vision of Christmas time because I've spent a lot of Christmases alone um, where we'd have a big long table on, on the farm I can already see it'd be like in a beautiful lane, lane of trees on each side with like lanterns and things and we'll have a big, big long table that goes like I, I joke to you about this, but I want it to happen. I want oh eventually I want it to become such a long table, it goes for like a kilometer. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not killers. A kilometer table long <laughs> Yeah. Like almost like man had a tea party style probably too. But like a big long table full of a banquet for, for this fruit, like a Christmas feast and just beautiful people along this table, whether they be the people that have stayed at the farm in like previous years and recovered and kind of done some of that healing work and then gone on to thrive and do other things, you know, just everyone sort of coming back and the people that have used this as a healing tool and us currently staying for respite and just everybody filling up this big long table and being able to, you know, swap seats and get to know other people that have like gone through similar things and and hopefully have some people at the table that have just done beautiful, inspiring things and just to know that there's hope and there's a future and it's never too late to 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 be at home. It's never too late. Um and you know, I imagine at this farm that we'd have like Lots of animals because animals are so healing. You know, I've, I've had I've got my first dog this year, uh, 
and she's brought me so much healing. She's healed me in ways that you can't put into words. And so, you know, having animals that, that could help facilitate that process and, you know, doing just doing art and, and music and, and maybe even learning how to kick some ass and, you know, do some Muay Thai and <laughs> you know, all of those things that I've, uh, all the things that I've done over the years that have helped me recover and heal to kind of create create a space for that too. So that would be that would be the dream. And I know that a lot of people that do achieve great success in entertainment go on to do wonderful things like that. Like I think that Oprah has an orphanage and I'm, I'm pretty sure Tiffany Haddish does something else with, with girls um, as well, like foster kids I think. I think she does something like that as well because she grew up in the foster system. So I think that for me too, being able to dream big like that at this stage of my life is really inspiring because I think that where I'm at at the moment, when I'm sort of reaching the edges of, of the fishbowl that I'm in, you can get a lot of negativity and a lot of people that judge you negatively for, for wanting more or for pushing or for you know, trying to actually achieve what you're doing. And it's really important to have the grounding of knowing the greater purpose for your work and that the greater purpose for your work isn't to get some fancy designer shoes, although I can go for your life if you get to have that opportunity and that brings you joy. But, but the, greater, the greater purpose of beyond just doing what you love and, and being able to you know, give that to people is, is that you could have power in the world and you could have money and I don't believe money is a bad word, but I think that we, we treat it like it is. But you could have money and you could have that power to actually do something that's so loving and caring for other people that it could heal the deepest parts of you, you know, and that you could really make a difference. And I think we have to keep that in our mind's eye as we move forward to keep us grounded and to to keep out of self-loathing and to keep self-loving as we take strides and know that we are so worthy of all of the success and all of the celebration, all of the wonderful things, because we are on a journey to, to do more of that for other people, you know? Yeah, I love that. I definitely want a seat at that table. And I think that's something that I could see spreading. You will. Spreading throughout the world as well, because I am very similar that, you know, I'd love to set up a community theatre locally because to me like youth theatre was my ultimate saviour I started going to youth theatre when I was 11 and it gave me so much I ended yeah. up being in two youth theatres and I just think it's a great outlet for kids and there's a lot of like what I call stage school type places that not quite you don't get that experience but there's something very raw about letting everyone just express themselves so yeah I think, yeah, we need to have the mm. Dot and Mary Foundation um, that spreads throughout the world so we can yeah. uh, spread spread the joy that we've had. Yeah, I love that. And, yeah. you know, our visions and our dreams may change too, and that's what's beautiful is that, like, we can have these visions to inspire us today and, and they, can, they can morph into something different, but the essence always remains the same, which is that you can extend what you've had, you know, that the gifts that you've been given, you can you can <coughs> spread them and, and give them to other people. Um, but I, I love that so much. And, yeah, yeah, it's interesting you say that because 
because my my biological mother she she uh, did youth theatre as well, uh, and I know that that was very healing for her. And it's just interesting that you say that because I remember saying to my mother several times, "You should set up a youth theatre, Mum. You should set it up because you would make you would do something for you. It would be really special for you because you'd get to see." other people benefit from the thing that you benefited from. Um, it's, a, it's a big, that's a, that's a big part of, of it, isn't it? Carrying that torch and, and, and enjoying something for yourself so that you can pass it along too. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I think you, you, you remember the people that stood out to you and helped you and they probably don't even think about it or think that they were an inspiration. Um, but, they, they will never know perhaps the influence that they had in someone's lives by giving them that outlet um, and that expression and that freedom that perhaps they didn't have anywhere else. So I think, yeah, it is almost a duty really, if you can, to, to, to pass that on and continue with it. And I think it, it just keeps it, it keeps it pure. It keeps you, it keeps you generative. I just, I think it's in, I think, I don't think it's a coincidence that the word generous and generative are so similar. But when you think of generative, it's, um, it's making, it's doing, it's gathering, it's creation. Um, and I think that people get really sick and really stagnant when they're not, when they forget that, when they forget that forward momentum and they forget that, that connection to creation in the, in the realization of their dreams. Cause there are a lot of people that, that, that reach great heights of success and kind of don't do much with it. Right. Yeah. But, um, Probably the majority. Yeah, I, don't think, really. I don't think they're the happy. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that makes them happy. And I think that they're just a bit lost and they just have, you know, failed to realize that, Oh, the generative energy, the generous energy is what's going to actually like elevate them and make them to that, take them to that like fully evolved experience of joy and like what we're here for. Yeah. Don't get me I'll wrong. I think that the superficial, <laughs> yeah, the superficial stuff is fun too. Like getting, getting, receiving shiny things and novelty items and novelty experiences that, I mean, that's fantastic too, but it, it's got to feel pretty hollow if that's all that there is, I think. Definitely. So we're coming to the end now, and it sounds like that young Dorothy had a really difficult time and things weren't always great. So what do you think she would say if she could see you now and what, how far you've come and what you've achieved? so funny like when I looked at this one <laughs> I knew straight away what she's saying and she drives me nuts every day <laughs> literally every day I wake up and she's like tugging at me she's like come on come on come on more 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 what are we waiting for what are we doing and I'm like oh bitch please I'm exhausted it's been an exhausting life it's like, don't Like, hurry the fuck up. And, um, yeah, 
That's what she's saying. Because <laughs> she... Because she still wants to be in a blockbuster movie. She wants to be frolicking around in costume on set. Like, that's all she wants to be doing. So she's like, what is, what are you waiting for? What are you doing, woman? <laughs> and I'm like, we need to plan. We're working towards We're it. We're getting okay? there. Um, <laughs> Oh, she's so sick of my shit and so impatient. Um, and I love her. And so living of life is just trying to find this balance between that I'm planning and the hurry up, you know, and the impatience versus the waiting too long. <laughs> you know, the adult and the kid have to kind of work together to kind of get a good, good middle ground of that. But she also is just, it's interesting. I feel, I think she's also just aware. She knows that I'm just working hard right now and I'm not really seeing myself or acknowledging myself. Like I'm not really present to where I'm at and what I'm doing because it kind of just feels like a, in between time, not and not a notable time. <laughs> you know, she's just kind of like, yeah, I get it. I get where you're at. Like, this is not our greatest moment. <laughs> this is not our finest hour. But yeah, she. But but she's she's happy with me in the sense that she knows that. I've made all of the decisions that I needed to make for me. Like there is nothing that I've done. Like I couldn't have made any other decisions any other way. Like she's always there being like, you had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best of the options, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, think you've it. definitely, definitely she made the best of the hand that you've been dealt because um, I don't see many other people would have, have kept going the way you have. You're definitely one of the most resilient people I've ever met. Um, and I really think what you've shared today will be Aww. really inspirational to a lot of people. So thank you for being so honest and vulnerable mm -hmm. and articulate and hilarious as ever. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to everybody getting this to listen to this. This has just been so just, um, it's been really generative, Mary. Like, it's really been so generous for you to just, you know, sit with me for an hour and a half and delve so deeply into my world and my experience. It's such a luxury that I don't think that, you know, not many of us really have, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's it's a beautiful gift to, to give people. So thank you so much for providing this space and doing that for me and... Yeah, I hope that other people do hear it and, and you know, that my experiences do align with others. And, you know, even if they haven't walked the same path or had the same experience, hopefully that they kind of ha have had similar feelings or that, that there's something useful in it as well. You know, we, we all have so much wisdom to tap into and these and conversations like this, definitely bring it out of us you know so 
I'm very appreciative. It's been really lovely. That's great. Well, thank you for saying that. It really means a lot because it is, it's a real privilege to, to, to listen to people and bear witness to their stories. And that's really why I wanted to have the Building Bliss podcast to talk to people like you, real people who've been through some real dark times, but you know, you've got through it and you're thriving. Um, despite all the stuff that's been thrown at you, you still come up thriving as best you can. So thank you very much. And yeah, yeah we'll, Aww. we'll wrap it up there. <laughs>